Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today's episode 255. It's titled, With Interest Rates Falling, Why Do You Own Bonds? Last week, we reviewed the case for investing all of your assets in stocks. We recognize if you do, you have to be willing to lose 60% or more of your investment portfolio when stocks plummet, because stocks do, and you have to have the fortitude to ride it out. Many of us, including me, we don't have that. We don't have the ability to ride the stock market up and down like a roller coaster. So we diversify and own other asset types. One of those asset categories that we own is bonds. Bonds, also known as fixed income, are debt instruments. They're issued by governments and corporations. Those entities borrow money and then they pay interest on that debt. And when the bond matures, they return the principal. The value of bonds varies as interest rates change. As interest rates go up, the value of bonds fall. And as interest rates fall, as they have done this year, then the value of bonds goes up. The broad U.S. bond market, the Bloomberg Barclays U.S. Aggregate Bond Index, has returned 5% this year. Long-term, U.S. Treasuries have returned over 10%. But not in my portfolio. My largest bond fund has only returned 2.8% year-to-date. I have a bank loan fund, it's a floating rate fund that's returned 4.6%, but I also have ultra-short-term bond funds that have returned one6 to 2%. The competitive side of me, the one that used to be an investment manager and working to outperform a benchmark for my clients, it feels bad when the bond market is up 5% and yet my bond portfolio is not. It's lagging. It's underperforming. Now I know why it's doing it. And I was reminded of that this past weekend. Laprell and I were in Missoula for a wedding reception, and we decided to take the long way home this past Sunday. So we headed south along US-93, just north of Salmon, Idaho, where the US-93 follows the Salmon River, there was a house. And outside the house, there was a hand-painted sign that said in bold letters, Not my cows. What in the world did that sign mean? Well, I knew as soon as I saw what it meant. When we had a farm in Teton Valley, we allowed a friend, a farmer, to pasture some cows for the summer. I looked out the window one day and I saw one of the cows was in the middle of the barley field, no longer fenced in in the pasture. I went outside and Laprell and I tried to get the cow back 
in the pasture. There actually were two or three that had escaped. Cows are not smart. One ran straight through the fence to get back in. The others wouldn't go through the gate. It's kind of a pain. And when you live near a pasture, maybe this person's renting a house, cows get loose. And they were tired of having someone knock on the door and tell them, your cows are loose. They're not my cows, said the sign. It gets down to the role of that person. That person's role was not to take care of cows. We have to do the same in our portfolios. What is the role of bonds in your portfolio? Is it to generate returns like we're seeing today when interest rate falls? Or are they primarily there for income? The role of bonds in your portfolio depends on your investment philosophy. For example, a little over a year ago in episode 201 of the show, it was titled, Is Your Portfolio Balanced? We discussed a book by Alex Shahidi called Balanced Asset Allocation. His view is you don't want to rely on a single asset category, such as stocks, to provide financial returns. He said we should own asset classes that are as volatile as stocks, but that perform better in different economic regimes. So his recommended portfolio included 30% in long-term treasury inflation protection securities, or TIPS, 30% in long-term bonds, 20% in stocks, and 20% in commodities. This is somewhat similar to Ray Dalio's Bridgewater Associates all-weather portfolio. And so you have volatility in all aspects of your portfolio. Bridgewater does something called risk parity. They use leverage so that the volatility of bonds is equal to stocks. And so they want to keep every asset type with a similar volatility in terms of how high are the highs, how low are the lows, in terms of the range of returns. Now, that's a specific investment philosophy. And in this environment, with rates falling, that has led to appreciation of those bonds. This idea of leveraging up bonds or owning very, very long-term bonds who have similar volatility with stocks and, and potentially, in some environments, better returns than stocks is different than how I approach bonds. My primary reason for holding bonds is to generate income and protect against capital losses so that I have money, capital to deploy when there's a more compelling opportunity. Bonds for me, it's, it's just a safe place, a place to store money to pick up some yield. So when I invest in bonds instead of stocks, that's what I'm doing. Now, James B. Clunan mentioned his book last week, Investing at Level 3, would say moving money and holding it in ultra short-term bonds, for example, that the cost is too high. You should be all in equity. But that's a price I'm willing to pay for the optionality to deploy those investments in an environment when there's a regime change, when stocks are attractively priced. It would be really wonderful if we ever got to that point again. I did a back test on Money for the Rest of Us Plus last week, and I was looking at the returns for stocks for the decades of the 1950s. And the starting dividend yield for stocks, January 1st, 1950, was 6.6%. And the price-to-earnings ratio was 7. Stocks in the 1950s returned 19% annualized. That combination of very high dividend yield, which by the end of the decade was over 3%, but not 6 price-to-earnings ratio had increased to around 16 and that, And then with the earnings growth, you had a 19% return. 
Now, to get to a 6.6% dividend yield, we'd have to have a huge decline in the stock market, 60% or more type decline. But if we do, I have money in bonds that wouldn't have lost that, and then I can deploy that. That's a different philosophy of investing in bonds. One of the 10 questions in my upcoming book when evaluating any investment asset is one you should be familiar with. Is it investing, speculating, or gambling? An investment is something that has a positive expected return. A gamble is something that has a negative expected return. You do it for entertainment value. And a speculation is where there's some uncertainty regarding whether the return will be positive or negative. In the current environment, for example, the yield on ultra short term bonds, which don't have any type of interest rate risk, is around 2.5%. When we look at the yield on the overall bond market, the Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, it's yielding around 26 to 2.7%. By actually investing in longer term bonds, you're not picking up much income. And so the only reason to do that is if you believe interest rates will fall. Whether interest rates are fall or rise, there's some disagreement regarding that. It's a speculation because the change in interest rates, it changes the price of bonds. The return, the income return is going to be there no matter what. And so there have been times in my portfolio where I've been willing to take that interest rate risk, which is called duration risk, because I was being compensated for it. But in an environment where you're not being compensated, like today, you don't get paid more money, more income for investing in longer term bonds. Not very much. And whether rates will go up or down, that's what's known as interest rate speculation. And it's not bad. We just have to go back to what is the role of bonds in terms of our investment philosophy. Is it to offset the volatility of stocks by having an aspect of your bond portfolio very, very volatile? Or is it to generate income and protect in a time when stocks sell off dramatically? Now, if stocks sell off dramatically, often that means interest rates could fall, which would help if you had longer term bonds. But that's not a guarantee. As an individual investor, you have a huge advantage over institutional money managers, particularly bond managers, because you're not comparing your performance to a bond benchmark. Typically, In an institutional sense, when we talk about interest rate speculation or interest rate anticipation, for a money manager, they have this benchmark, let's say the Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, which has a duration of about six years. A manager or managers don't really have the option to just own cash, to have a duration of 0.5 years. Because if interest rates fall, like they have in the current environment, they'll underperform their benchmark and their clients will fire them. You're not going to get fired out of your own portfolio. We want to look at what income are we getting from the bonds. And if the income is the same for cash or ultra short-term bonds than it is for intermediate-term bonds or longer-term bonds, in my case, then I'm fine holding the cash because I'm not going to speculate on interest rates. And I don't speculate on interest rates because I don't know whether rates will go up or down or not. I can make a strong case for why they might go up, and I can make a good case for why they might go down. For example, 
Why could rates fall from here? Right now, the yield on 10-year treasuries is 2.14%. It's down over a percent since October 2019. That's a big drop. Why could they go down further? Well, they could go down further because the Federal Reserve has indicated that they are on hold in terms of either raising or lowering short-term interest rates. Longer-term rates are influenced by the actions of the Federal Reserve. Their communication regarding whether they're going to be raising their policy rate or short-term rates or they're going to be lowering it. Right now, the market is pricing in two rate cuts by the Federal Reserve in the next year or so. And as a result, those intermediate-term rates have gone down. So that's an argument for why rates could be lower. Global economy slowing. There's increasing uncertainty regarding the trade war. The most compelling argument for why rates could fall in the U.S. is how much more the yield is on U.S. government bonds versus other countries. I mentioned U.S. 10-year treasuries are yielding 2.14%. The 10-year government bond in Germany is yielding negative 0.2%. It's negative 0.08% in Japan. The 10-year government bond in France, 0.2%. In the UK, 0.9%. In a couple of countries that have much dire financial prospects than the U.S., Italy, for example, their 10-year government bonds yielding 2.6%. And Greece is 2.9%. A little more than the U.S., but when you compare other developed countries, they're much, much lower than the U.S. So that's a pretty good case for that rates should fall, and we could speculate on interest rates by owning longer-term bonds. But here's some reasons why interest rates could increase. Right now, there's no term premium priced in to government bonds, U.S. government bonds. Term premium is the additional compensation investors require for uncertainty uncertainty regarding inflation coming in higher than expected, uncertainty regarding whether the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates more aggressively. The term premium zero. On average, it's been about 1.5% going back in time. If investors become more wary of what could happen, just want more compensation in terms of term premium, rates could go higher. Interest rates could go higher because investors could get spooked by the amount of new supply of government bonds being issued. New interest-bearing debt issued by the U.S. government is increasing at 5 to 7% per year because the federal budget deficit as a percent of GDP is running at 5% per year. And if investors become more concerned regarding that, that could lead to higher interest rates just because there's just a huge amount of supply. If we get into another recession where the deficit balloons incredibly to becomes 10% of GDP and the amount of bonds that needs to be issued is even greater, essentially there's a loss of confidence in the central bank and in the federal government, and that could lead to higher interest rates. Let me pause here and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. 
but I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. There's some concern, and I got an email regarding this the other day, about what if China sold its treasury bonds, U.S. treasury bonds that it owns. China owns $1.3 trillion in U.S. government bonds. That includes bonds they own directly and then bonds that they custody or own through some custodians in Belgium. The foreign currency reserves that China has, so as China runs a trade surplus, they get dollars and euros and they invest them in government bonds. Their alternative is to convert that money back to the yuan. If China sold some of its treasury holdings, if it decided then to take those dollars and convert them to yuan, that would put upward pressure on the yuan, on the exchange rate. And a stronger yuan could potentially lead to slower growth in exports because China's products then wouldn't be as competitive because the yuan would have strengthened. And that's on top of the additional tariffs that the Trump administration has put on Chinese goods. And so while there's a risk that China might sell its treasuries, in reality, it's hard to say because, they, yes, they own them, but selling them and converting them to the yuan sort of defeats the idea that they want to keep growing their exports. Now, they could sell their treasuries and move them over into some other asset, let's say European bonds, you get a lot lower yield. They invest in U.S. government bonds because it's such a liquid market. They're able to, to quickly put money to work. 
The other thing, if they sold part of it and just signaled that they were going to reduce it, let's say they started selling several billion dollars worth of government bonds. If the market got spooked and interest rates went up, then the value of those bonds would fall and China would lose money on some of their essentially foreign currency reserves, which would put them in a more tenuous situation. But there is a risk out there. China's and other governments could sell U.S. government bonds, adding to the supply, and that could push up interest rates. Now, after the Federal Reserve announced that they were putting their interest rates or short-term interest rate or policy rate on hold, that they were going to be patient and see what the economy would do, what the incoming data shows, I didn't go out and buy longer-term bonds. What I did do, and what you can do, is buy other income-oriented strategies. If bonds are only yielding 2.5%, one of the things I did this year is I increased my exposure to preferred stocks. Preferred stocks are an asset type. They're issued by companies, and they have a set yield, a dividend yield. I bought preferred stocks issued by closed-end bond funds and by mortgage real estate investment companies and they pay 55 to 6%. What's interesting about preferred stock is they don't mature. Unlike a bond, preferred stock doesn't mature. Yet it, its primary return is the dividend or the income stream. And so preferred stock acts like a very, very long-term bond or long-duration bond. So it's sensitive to rising and falling interest rates. I was willing, in that case, to speculate that interest rates would hold steady or fall, but do so by investing in preferred stock because I'm getting more than 2.5% for doing so. I'm getting 5 to 6% for holding preferred stock. You can own equity real estate investment trust. They yield 4%. They tend to be interest rate sensitive as rates go down. REITs often do better. There's other dividend strategies you can invest in. I got an email the other day from my member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. He has about 50% of his portfolio in real estate. He owns some residential housing units and they generate a yield. He has, they use some leverage, but it generates income for him. He's thinking about cutting back on his work, though not necessarily fully retiring. And his question is, how does he consider this real estate? Should he consider it like a bond that perhaps increases allocation to stocks? Now, real estate is, is not a bond, but it is an income strategy. And if it's private real estate, it can be more stable. So it does become a bond substitute or just another return driver. And then as you do your asset allocation, you can decide and he can decide, well, how much am I willing to own in stocks? given the potential maximum drawdown. What is my ultimate yield? What kind of income and return am I receiving or total return am I receiving on this real estate? And how does that compare to the potential 6% to 7% expected return for stocks? And then you can decide how much to allocate. There's not a right answer there. But if it has income-like strategies like bonds, has a higher yield, maybe a little more volatile, it becomes a substitute. And in an environment when rates are falling, when the Federal Reserve's on hold, it becomes a way to 
essentially speculate on interest rates, but do it in a way that you get a much higher income yield to protect in case rates actually go up instead of down. Now, there isn't a right answer in terms of the role of bonds in our portfolios. Maybe for you, it's just, it's like me. Bonds are there for income to protect so that we have that capital to deploy when there are other opportunities. Maybe bonds are there to offset some of the volatility of stocks, particularly if we enter into a recession and rates fall significantly. Now, you can do that without owning long-term bonds. You could own the Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund, yielding about 2.7%, about the same as cash, yet it has a six-year duration, and so it will be more volatile, and in a year like this year, it's up 5%. But we have to decide that now in terms of our view regarding do we want to be interest rate speculators? Because it comes down to, in the current environment, when the yield on cash is the same as longer-term bonds, the only reason to own longer-term bonds is for that interest rate speculation. Because we're not trying to outperform a bond benchmark. That's not what we should be doing. We don't care about relative performance as an individual investor. We care about absolute performance. Is our asset allocation helping contribute to our long-term plans, be it retirement or some other investment objective. I thought about this again recently. I was reading from the Zhuangzi. This is an ancient Taoist text from China, and it's a story in there about a carpenter, Carpenter Shi. And he was traveling with his companion, He, and he came upon a tree next to a shrine. And the tree, it said, had over a hundred arm spans. It was large so large that thousands of oxen could shade themselves beneath it. Carpenter Shi walked right by it, didn't even pay any attention to it. The apprentice Key was astounded. He said, since taking up my axe to follow you, master, I have never seen a tree of such fine materials as this. And yet you don't even deign to look twice at it or pause beneath it. Why? Carpenter Shi said, stop, say no more. This is worthless lumber. As a ship, it would soon sink. As a coffin, it would soon rot. As a tool, it would soon break. As a door, it would leak sap. As a pillar, it would bring infestation. This is a talentless, worthless tree. It is precisely because it is so useless that it has lived so long. Back at home, Carpenter Shi had a dream. And in the dream, the tree spoke to him. And asked him, why do you compare him to some of the more cultivated trees, the trees, the hawthorn, the pear, the orange, that bring fruit? The tree in the dream says, those other trees, they have small branches that are pruned and they die young. They don't live to their full natural lifespans. Why? They have a different role. Their role is to produce fruit. Whereas this tree's role, he says, I've been working on being useless for a long time. It's almost killed me, but I finally managed it. And it is of great use to me. If I were useful, do you think I could have grown to be so great? Bonds have different uses and can be used. All asset classes can be used in different ways. Part of investing is figuring out what role different asset types can have. 
And in an environment like today, bonds, short-term bonds, cash seems kind of useless because you didn't get the price appreciation as interest rates fell as you did with longer-term bonds. I'm okay with that because my bonds are supposed to be useless in terms of price appreciation in this environment. And I'm comfortable with that. Sometimes I feel bad because, wow, I could have if I'd known interest rates were going to fall. But you couldn't have known that. I've made arguments why they could rise from here or why they could fall from here. That's why it's a speculation. There's disagreements on the returns as it relates to rising and falling interest rates. My choice is to hold bonds as an option to potentially use that money later. And so I don't want the volatility up and down because I can get that volatility through other instruments that have a higher yield, such as preferred stock. But that's what investing is, figuring out the role, figuring out how we want to use it, and making our choices. That's episode 255. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, go ahead and sign up for my free weekly newsletter, my insider's guide. I'll send you the links that we covered in that week's episode, along with an essay I do, some of the best writing I do each week on money, investing in the economy. This is writing I don't share anywhere else. It doesn't make it onto the podcast or onto the website. It just goes to you as a free newsletter subscriber. And you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. Simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.